0: We started the book of Micah last week, so we'll be reading Micah chapter 2 today, and that's found on page 929 of the Church Bibles. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out, because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. You descendants of Jacob, should it be said... Does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good to the one whose ways are upright? Lately my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. Get up, go away, for this is not your resting place, because it is defiled, it is ruined beyond all remedy. If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will bring surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head.
1: Thank you, Sue. Well, good morning again. Thank you for uh, taking the time to fill in that survey. It's, uh, it's a really valuable uh valuable exercise, gives us good insights into how we're going as a church and, and to contributes to the bigger, uh, broader picture of the church across Australia as well. So thank you for your time with that. Uh, if you haven't finished yet, that's okay. We can, you can finish it off at the end and, and we'll collect those later. Let's pray as we come to, uh, much more important than surveys, come to God's word. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your life-giving word. We thank you that we have access to it, that we can gather and read it and think on it and Father, we ask that you give us understanding of your word, that in doing this, we would know you better, that we would respond to you rightly, that we would love you and trust you and follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, justice is a good thing. We we like justice. Uh, When things that are are good and right and true, when when they're upheld, we approve. We like justice. And perhaps we realise this... um, And we don't realise the the full extent of it until we face the opposite, when when we we, uh, encounter injustice, when injustice is done. Thank you, Bertie. That's uh, very kind. So, for example... Uh, if, if someone at work is, uh, is lying or, or, or cheating or, or, or mistreating others in some kind of way and, or just doing something downright dodgy and they're getting away with it, uh, they're seeking their own advantage and no one is stopping them. We, we hate it. We hate it when injustice is done. Uh, when some idiot on the road uh, cuts in front of us and uh, it speeds past, nearly, nearly causes an accident, runs a red light and it's infuriating. When we see the news report of the serial rapist or pedophile on trial, we want justice. We want to see them stopped. We want to see them punished for their crimes, and rightly so. And we approve, and and I might even say we rejoice, when justice is done. When that corrupt colleague at work is caught out and dealt with appropriately, it's good and right. Right. When we discover that same idiot on the road a few kilometres up, parked in front of the blue and red flashing lights, we inwardly rejoice, especially that they were stopped before they killed someone. When the judge hands down the heavy sentence on the serial rapist or pedophile, we approve. We like justice. Uh, Perhaps the exception to this is when it is we who are in the wrong, and when justice means that we will be brought to account. Maybe we're not so keen on it then, but generally, otherwise, we tend to like justice. And our God likes justice. God upholds justice. And he is actually able to bring about perfect justice, because unlike us, he has complete knowledge of a situation, he is always right in his judgments, and he has complete power to bring about justice. That's unlike us because we, well, we are limited in our understanding. We, we don't see the big picture. We don't see all the facets, all the angles. We don't always choose what's right. And we often don't have the power to bring about justice. And often when we see justice not being done, when we don't see justice being done, that's when we, we cry out to God and we say, why? Why is this happening? Why, why won't you bring justice here? Why do evil people continue to have their way? Where is justice? Well, this book of Micah tells us that God will bring justice. And this is a comfort for us to know that that God is in control, that he is just, that he will in the end uphold justice perfectly. It's a comfort to us. But it's also sobering to us because it causes us to consider where we stand in regard to God's justice, in regard to his judgment. I said last week that we need the book of Micah. We need it. We need it to give us a picture of of justice. We need it so that we're not malnourished Christians with a distorted and deficient understanding of God and ourselves and our world. We, We need that balanced diet of hearing God's word. And in Micah, what it, what it tells us is that God is just and that his judgment is coming. Uh, we saw last week in Micah 1 that this uh, prophet of Judah, uh, by the name of Micah, he was uh, prophesying around the 8th century BC and, and he proclaimed to God's people that judgment was coming against them. God's judgment was coming because of their sin, their transgression. We saw how Samaria in the north in Israel how, uh, how, how God's judgment was coming to them. And, and Jerusalem in the south, in, in Judah, God's judgment was coming to them because they had disregarded God's word. They'd done evil in his eyes. They'd sought to be just like the nations around them. And so God announced through Micah that he will bring judgment. Here in chapter 2, we discover in more detail what, what, what actually was the nature of what they were doing, of their transgression. What is this sin that they're committing and like in chapter 1, this stands as a sobering warning to us. So let's look at it. What is it that they're doing? What, what is the nature of this sin? Well, there's, there's two aspects to it. Firstly, they are pursuing greed rather than justice. Look there at verse 1. It says, woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. These people are planning, they're plotting, they're, they're deliberate, they're calculated, they're premeditated in their evil deeds this is not just kind of responding badly in a situation they're planning they're scheming they lie awake at night on their beds planning what they're going to do next but it doesn't stop there they actually put their plans into action verse one continues at morning's light they carry it out because it's in their power to do it so their dark deeds aren't confined to the cover of night Their, their sin is carried out blatantly in the light of day They do it because they want to. That's what they've been plotting. That's what they've been planning. And they do it because they can. It's within their power. Well, What exactly are they doing? Verse 2 tells us, They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. They covet, covet the possessions of others. I want their fields. I want their house. I want that for myself. Now, coveting is a, is a big deal in the, in the, in the scriptures. Uh, the 10th commandment says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And yet, coveting is it's embedded in our sinful nature to see what others have and to want what others have. Now, for these people, they're, they're not only coveting, wanting what others have, they're, they're taking action, they're acting on it, they're seizing their fields, they're taking their houses, they're defrauding and robbing people of their homes. And indeed, they're, they're robbing them of their, their freedom and their place in the people of God. Notice there at the end of verse 2, it says, rob them of their inheritance, when the promised land was was distributed to God's people, they, uh, God gave each family a part of the, of the land, that was their inheritance, it was entrusted to them for their family to, to, to use and to survive by and to be. that was their place among God's people. So to be denied, to be cut off from the land was to be denied your means of survival, was to be denied your place among God's people and these People were selfishly and unjustly increasing their own wealth, building their own empire to the detriment of others. They had no regard for justice. Justice has just gone out the window. It's just about me and my gain. It says over in verse 8 that they, they strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care. Hmm. There's a nice robe. I'll have that. They rip it off. Verse 9, they drive the women and the children from their homes. They take away God's blessing. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? Rampant greed, injustice. Friends, our world is not all that different to this. Uh, The underlying drive to covet what others have, to increase our wealth, our power, our position, to do that without regard for others, to, to do that even despite the effect on others. When you think about it, the entire advertising industry is actually built on the assumption of coveting and greed. That's the, the, the desire for more. That's, that's the, the basic, dependable constant. Maybe we think our culture is, is a bit more respectable than in Micah's day. It's not as blatant as ripping off someone's shirt off their back but or kicking them out of their home. And yet I'm sure we can point to examples of big business striving to maximise the bottom line and so taking advantage of the losses of others, disregarding, steamrolling the little guy, pushing ahead to increase wealth without regard for the personal suffering that that brings to others. And we see other examples of this. I mean, the blatant money-grabbing that can go on with contesting wills. We've seen people fighting, squabbling over a will. People happily turn a blind eye to justice if it means more money in in their pocket and less in someone else's. Or the legal battles that go on every day that are basically just people devising clever ways to covet and seize the wealth and possessions of others in order to increase their own wealth. It's the pursuit of greed over justice. And these people of uh, Micah's day who were doing this, they, they think nobody knows. I mean, the world is asleep as they, as they lie on their beds at night and plan and plot their next move. Nobody knows. Nobody's watching. But they forget that God is still watching. He doesn't sleep. He, he knows. And he will uphold justice. He will bring judgment. And this is what Micah says, verse 3. Therefore the Lord says... I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. Micah says God's going to bring judgment and the punishment will fit the crime. Notice verse 1, they plan iniquity, evil against others. It says here God is planning disaster. It's actually the same, in, in the original Hebrew, it's the same word for iniquity and disaster. God is going to bring disaster upon them. And the phrase that it says there, from which you cannot save yourselves, more literally, like the, the uh, ESV version, it says, from which you cannot remove your neck. Like an animal in, in a yoke, they will be trapped. They'll be unable to free themselves. God says they will no longer walk proudly, thinking that they're the untouchable kingpin. And just as they have defrauded people of their fields and homes and robbed them of their inheritance, God says he will take from them their fields and homes and give it to others. He says, verse 4, In that day people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. God Use the Assyrian army to do just this, to invade and conquer their land, to take away from them their wealth, their possessions, and to enslave them and remove them from the land. Just as they had kicked people out of their homes and off their their fields, God says to them, verse 10, "'Get up, go away, for this is not your resting place, because it is defiled, it is ruined beyond all remedy.'" Get out of here says God. Rebellious Israel meets their judgment because they have pursued greed instead of justice. That's the first aspect they're pursuing greed and throwing away justice. The second aspect of their sin comes in verse 6 onwards and that is and it fits very well with that greed, that disregard for justice, that is what they do is they downplay and deny that justice or judgment will come to them. Verse 6, do not prophesy, their prophets say, do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Verse 7, they say, does the Lord become impatient? Does, does, he, does he do such things? What these greedy oppressors have done is they've gathered around themselves preachers who will say what they want to hear and will seek to silence anyone else, people like Micah, for saying things they they don't want to hear. Things like, you guys are sinning. God's going to judge you. No, no, Micah, don't say that. Disgrace will not overtake us. And God is patient. God is loving. He's gracious. Hey, Micah, don't, don't go on with your negative talk of sin and judgment. I mean, Micah, don't you know the scriptures? Exodus 34 verse 6, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. What these preachers do is they point to God's character. God is a God of love and patience. Don't prophesy about judgment, Micah. Friends, the most effective form of false teaching is a half-truth. And what these false teachers do is they they latch on to God's character, his patience, his love, his forgiveness. But actually, that only tells half of the story. That verse I read from Exodus 34, it continues, Yes, God is forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That is, God is a God of justice. Sin matters and judgment is coming. But the false teachers in Micah's day, they downplay sin. They deny judgment. And instead, what these greedy oppressors want, well, what they want is a message of blessing of God's provision. That's, that's the sort of preachers we're after. Look at verse 11. It says, If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. The false teaching that uh, downplays sin, denies judgment, whilst preaching, preaching a message of wealth and prosperity and blessing, it's certainly not confined to Micah's day. And as your preacher who is entrusted with the responsibility to teach you God's word, to warn you against error, or in the words of Titus 1, to hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught, so that I might encourage you by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. I need to warn you, as we live in this greed-driven materialistic society, not unlike Micah's day, that there are churches, there are ministries around us that pander to this culture. They are on the surface, they may present well, they're positive, they're affirming, but they're actually positive and affirming about the wrong things. And they do pretty much exactly what the false prophets of Micah's day were doing. They downplay any sense of sin of the, that left to ourselves that we are morally culpable before God that we are guilty before him, that we're facing his his right condemnation, that we're desperately in need of God to regenerate our hearts, that we might repent of our sin, that we might turn away from our sin and seek God's forgiveness and mercy and live to follow and honour Christ. And if you downplay sin and deny judgment, well, what you do is you redefine salvation. No longer is salvation about being delivered from condemnation. It's about, instead, it's, it's, a, it's a call to live a full and prosperous life. To live up to the God-given potential that, that he's put inside you. Uh, to illustrate this, on the official website of one of these ministries, one that's, that's active in our culture, it says that the purpose of Jesus' incarnation, the reason Jesus became a human was to give us confidence to show us quote show us our full potential the potential of perfected humanity it's redefined salvation it's downplayed sin denied judgment and redefined salvation now friends i don't raise this because i have some sort of perverse joy in criticizing other ministries or or because this is some kind of hobby horse, or because I'm some sort of self-righteous Pharisee who thinks we've got it all together. I raise it because we're working our way through God's Word, working through Micah, and Micah 2 warns us of false teachers who downplay sin and deny judgment and preach a message of prosperity. And I don't want any of you or anyone else to fall victim to this false teaching. This kind of teaching, at best... It leaves people as malnourished Christians. That is, if they already know the gospel or they have managed to hear it and pick it up somewhere along the lines. Or at worst, it leaves people in the dark about the true salvation that is available through Christ. And they press on throughout life, unaware and unprepared for the judgment that's coming. That's what happened to these greedy people of Micah's day they'd embraced this false teaching they they thought it was all good they had nothing to worry about they were the winners and they thought that well they thought that at least until the king of Assyria invaded their land and came knocking at the door so Micah spelt out what they're doing wrong they're they're greedy coveting and defrauding their denial of the reality of judgment and he told them that judgment is coming. But then in verse 12, there's this, there's this sudden change of gears. I don't know if you picked it up before when Sue read it. It just suddenly there's, there's hope. God says this this judgment will not be the end. It's not going to be the end of God's people. God will save a remnant of Israel. Look there at verse 12. He says, I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I'll bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. So as judgment comes, they'll be scattered. They'll be carried off to exile to Assyria or later on to Babylon. They'll be scattered. But then God will gather together a remnant of his people. He'll bring them out of exile. He'll bring them together to be his people. He says, like sheep protected in a pen, like a flock that's been provided for in good pasture. And this will come about through verse 13, the one who breaks open the way. The the king who will pass through before them, the Lord, at their head. That is, the Lord himself will lead his people. His appointed king will break open the way of salvation. Now, this is, of course, one of the many prophecies of Micah that is fulfilled by Jesus. The one who came as the good shepherd. The one who brings together God's people. The good shepherd who John 10 tells us lays down his life for his sheep who gave his life to deliver us from judgment. The one who who brings us through judgment to salvation, who guards and protects and leads his sheep. And who are God's people? Who Who is this flock of his pasture? It's those who hear and listen to the voice of the shepherd. It says in John 10 verse 3, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Well, where do we stand with, uh, with all of this with regard to greed and justice and judgment? Well, I've got three, three applications for us. Firstly, we should recognize that judgment is coming. As it says in Acts 17, verse 31, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, namely Jesus. God has set a day when he will bring perfect justice to to this world. And that is a great comfort to, to us when we're confronted by injustice in the world. God will bring a day when justice will be done. It's also a warning, though, to us because judgment will include us. And so in the light of that, secondly, the only sensible thing to do in the light of that reality is to repent of our sin, to turn to our Saviour Jesus for forgiveness, to rest and rejoice in the faithfulness of God that he's going to save a remnant through Jesus, the Great Shepherd. And thirdly, having turned to Jesus, we should listen to his voice. He's our shepherd in life. Now, part of what that means is that we, we strive to uphold justice and not pursue greed. Uh, we strive to be countercultural at this point, to, to not be in it for all that we can get. But to remember the words of the Lord Jesus in Luke 12:15, where Jesus said, "Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed." Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Be on our guard against greed. And be rich towards God. Be rich towards God and his kingdom. Live to follow our king. Live to follow our shepherd, Jesus, to hear his voice, to follow him, to put his word into practice. And to use what we have not to accumulate more for ourselves at the expense of others, but use what we have to serve others and to advance God's kingdom. Judgment is coming. Repent, rest and rejoice in our great shepherd and listen to his voice, guard against greed and be rich towards God. Let's pray. Our heavenly father, we thank you and praise you that you are indeed a God of justice. We thank you that one day you will set all things right. And Father, we draw great comfort from that. We thank you that you will judge with justice by the man you have appointed, Jesus. And Father, we thank you and praise you for your faithfulness and mercy in offering us salvation from judgment through Jesus. Father, please lead us to repent of our sin, to continue to repent of our sin. Lead us to rest and rejoice in Christ, our King, our Saviour, our Shepherd. Father, lead us to listen to his voice, to live not for ourselves and our gain, but to be rich towards you, to be generous towards others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.